Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for August 12th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we learn about a new partnership involving the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service and UAMS to help with COVID-19 testing in rural areas. And we hear about more funding for rural broadband in the state. We also talk to Sarah Gardner, who was recently named to the National 4-H Council's Young Alumni Advisory Committee. First, Ken Moore is joined by Laura Bayless, an Extension Health Specialist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. She tells us how Cooperative Extension Service family and consumer science agents have partnered with the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences to help schedule COVID-19 testing in rural, underserved areas. UAMS has a mobile testing unit that will travel two to three times per week to provide testing in these communities. I'm Ken Moore, and I have the pleasure of speaking now with Laura Bayless. Uh, Laura is an assistant professor and extension health specialist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, Laura, thank you for joining us and welcome to Arkansas AgCast. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we're going to be talking today about how uh, the Cooperative Extension Service, and in particular family and consumer science agents, are partnering with the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Uh, to uh, help provide more access for COVID-19 testing in rural Arkansas. Uh, Laura, tell us about this program and how uh, uh, family and consumer science agents are going to be able to assist in this effort. Sure. So I was contacted by a colleague at UAMS who's working on this new um, mobile unit for COVID-19 testing and really looking for partners in the communities who have that on-the-ground experience and connections who could help um, as the unit is deployed across the state to figure out how to actually put these testing sites um, into practice. So that's a a perfect fit for our agents who are really well-connected in the communities and have lots of partners they work with regularly. So um, our work for the extension agents is really just to be that connector and say, oh yeah, I have a colleague uh, with a health coalition or a colleague at a clinic, for example, who could help organize this testing site, which would entail finding a location that's big enough to drive up testing, so picturing a a large parking lot as part of it, um, recruiting volunteers, marketing the event. So we're happy to be able to help with that kind of on-the-ground connection, and in particular in the counties where UAMS doesn't have a presence yet. Um, There are, of course, other U of A system entities like community colleges throughout the state, um, but the agents really serve an important role as kind of the, the face of the system in their counties. Very good. Uh, and as the you know pandemic continues, uh, testing uh, is becoming more and more important, I think. Uh, and you please uh, kind of update me on this. But in the beginning, it seems like those uh, Arkansas residents who lived in rural communities that were kind of hard to reach not, not either felt uh, the need to be tested or just didn't have anywhere to go uh, to be tested. And now, though, I know Governor Hutchinson 
is wanting to increase testing capacity across the state, and this is going to help to reach those some of those hard-to-reach people, aren't they, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We really do need to increase testing as a state, and UAMS does work with um, the Department of Health because we know that there is testing already with some of the uh, local health units. So uh, in my view, it's more is better. So if we can all communicate and collaborate, but just in general increase the testing, whoever's doing it, um, that's what we need. And their approach is to analyze the data and look at where, for example, maybe cases are rising, starting to rise, and it's a county that hasn't had as much testing, so they have a kind of process to identify where they'll deploy this mobile unit, and so we don't know in advance, like, what counties they'll visit when, except for kind of the next couple, but it'll really be dependent on needs as we uh, progress through the pandemic. I'm noticing here in this article that uh, in Sevier County, they had more than 930 cases as of uh, Monday. Now, this was a week ago, not this week, not yesterday, but 930 cases confirmed a week ago. And uh, Agent Janet Cantrell uh, contacted uh, Angie Walker, who is president of the Sevier County Health Coalition, and they coordinated a site at the Cossatot Community College, and that's just to – to your point where you just said they're working with community colleges as locations. Testing is typically offered, I believe, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. when they schedule those. So that's just one example of how in a rural county in southwest Arkansas they had uh, an event last week. Uh, So I guess more of those are going to be scheduled, right? Yes, more will be scheduled. They're anticipating um, a couple different sites per week, depending on what they <laughs> determine from the data. And yes, Janet was one of our first couple agents who was able to step in and help us connect and figure out uh, where they could set up a testing site. Well, uh, if you will, Laura, just tell us again about the need for these mobile, this mobile testing unit uh, to reach uh, our rural residents, our rural Arkansans. Uh, What's the attitude of the people that that you're learning about or hearing from from county extension agents? Uh, Are people still very, very concerned and wanting to now be tested? I think there's, I guess, a range of opinions or or feelings about it um, across the board. So the goal is just to have the testing available and to spread the word and encourage people to be tested and make it as easy and convenient for them as possible so they can just drive through and and get tested. And the more people who do that, the better. Of course. And, of course, and we certainly hope that uh, as people are tested, the results, of course, come back negative, Uh, you know, and they don't. They're not diagnosed to be uh, positive with COVID-19. But uh, it's important uh, for those who are concerned that they have any, if they think they even have any symptoms or have been exposed to someone who did, that they have this opportunity. Well, we just want to uh, applaud the efforts of uh, the Cooperative Extension Service and our county offices to work with UAMS on scheduling these mobile testing units and programs. 
Uh, it says they'll be traveling about three times a week from Little Rock out into our rural communities to provide these testing opportunities. And, uh, Laura, thank you so much for explaining this for us today. Yeah, thanks for helping us spread the word and make sure this good work happens. You betcha. We've been okay. speaking with Laura Bayless, an assistant professor and extension health specialist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture, on this edition of AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson talks to Sarah Gardner, a University of Arkansas junior double majoring in agriculture economics and international economics. She was recently named to the National 4-H Council's Young Alumni Advisory Committee and earned a scholarship from the Arkansas Farm Bureau Scholarship Foundation. This is Greg Patterson, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guest is Sarah Gardner. She's a University of Arkansas Fayetteville junior. And Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Okay, now you were recently named to the 4-H National Council's Young Alumni Advisory Committee, and you also were recently a recipient of a Farm Bureau Scholarship Foundation scholarship as you enter your junior year. So tell us, what's your major at the university, and when does school start? I'm sure you're excited. Yes, I'm so grateful for both of these opportunities through 4-H and through Farm Bureau. Very, very grateful for scholarships to help continue and further my education um, as I pursue my degrees in agricultural economics and international economics with minors in ag leadership, Spanish, and international economic development. Okay, now wait, you, you just mentioned you're double majoring. Now it's, it's economics, but you've got ag economics and you've got international economics. And then you're minoring also in Spanish and what else? And international economic development and ag leadership. Okay, so you like to be busy is what you're trying to tell me. I do. I love to learn and I love school. So tell me about um, the 4-H advisory committee. You've been in 4-H for a long time. How did you get started in 4-H? So I started as 4-H'er when I was eight years old, and I could have never imagined that someday I would be one of 11 national members serving on this amazing committee. And so it's just incredible to see all the opportunities that 4-H has given me and how full circle um, the past 12 years have been. Um, and so my 4-H career began with a flag etiquette speech about the American flag when I was eight years old. The Elks Lodge came into my third grade classroom and they brought pamphlets about honoring the American flag. And I brought it home to my mom and thought that it would be a great idea for my first 4-H speech. So after I gave it at the first 4-H competition, she called the Veterans Hospital, our local veterans healthcare system of the Ozarks, and they allowed me to come present my speech there. And afterwards, Congressman Don Bozeman, who is now one of our two U.S. Senators, came up to me and said, that both of his daughters were in 4-H and that next to church, it is the best program for youth to be involved in. And I could have never imagined how true those words would reign in my life and where I would be today because of this incredible program. But I am so grateful for that first flag speech whenever I was eight years old and for his encouraging words and for all of the people who have helped me get to where I am today because I wouldn't be sitting here without them. Now, a lot of times when people think about far or 4-H, they think about, you know, the kids are showing animals and doing that kind of thing. Did you grow up on a farm? Did you show animals or, or how'd you, how, I mean, were your parents involved in agriculture? 
So I did not grow up on a farm, but both of my parents grew up on farms in Oklahoma, and they were both in 4-H when they were kids. And so their passions for agriculture have just been contagious in my life. And they are the ones who encouraged me and my siblings to get involved with 4-H. And through 4-H, we have met some of the most incredible and hardworking people who do show animals and who did grow up on farms. And so getting to learn from them and see the importance of agriculture through the lens of their lives has shaped my passion. And they are the reason that I'm so passionate about agriculture and that's my major today. So, so tell us about the advisory council position with National 4-H. What kind of focus will you have with that position? So this committee is comprised of 11 young alumni 4-Hers from across the country, and I'm so, so grateful to be a part of it. On this committee this year, we are having different Zoom meetings and hopefully meeting in Washington, D.C. at the National 4-H Center to help support 4-H's program and just to oversee the vision of what 4-H is on a national level and how we can use our youth perspective to shape the trajectory upon which this program goes. So we get to work to help support the Board of Trustees and different policies that are being created to shape 4-H and where it goes and what implications that has for different 4-Hers from all across the country. So for me, I'm super passionate about serving veterans and also just amplifying the voice of agriculture on a national level. And so that, that's two things, as well as increasing international opportunities for 4-Hers. Those are things that I hope to use my role to be an advocate for. Now, you mentioned your, your passion for veterans, and a lot of people don't realize that, that 4-H is more than just showing animals. There's all kinds of stuff you can get involved with, and one of them, obviously, is volunteering your time to these great causes. So, so why veterans? What happened there? How'd you get involved with that? So that also ties back to that flag speech. When I was eight years old at the Veterans Hospital, um, one opportunity just kind of led to another, and I had so many amazing people surrounding me who were so gracious to invite me to speak at different events, whether it was the local Marine Corps League or a flag retirement ceremony or the Rotary Club. And so just getting around and getting to meet these incredible men and women who have served our country and hearing their stories, I quickly learned that our freedom is not free and that we live in the greatest country in the world, whether we realize it or not, and that should not be taken for granted. Um, but we are just forever indebted to these people who have sacrificed their lives so that we can be free. And so anyone can get involved with volunteering for veterans. When I started as an eight-year-old, I wasn't yet old enough to take vital signs or to push wheelchairs at the Veterans Hospital, which is something that I dreamt of doing until I was finally old enough as a teenager. Um, but there's so many ways that you can get involved, no matter how old you are. You can sing Christmas carols at the veterans' nursing homes. You can put flags on the graves at the National Cemetery Memorial Day and wreaths at Christmas time. You can encourage people in your classrooms or at your workplace to write cards for Flag Day or for Veterans Day, or even just any day of the year to show our veterans their appreciation. You can collect lotions and soaps and socks for different nursing homes or hospitals, but there are just an endless amount of ways to get involved. And so this is why I just encourage everyone to volunteer for veterans and to serve the people who have served our country because they have granted us the gift of freedom. That's something that we can't take for granted, but we have to work to preserve it every day. You know, it's interesting that you're involved with veterans. Um, I know 
Farm Bureau has a program where we work with veterans who are interested in, in getting involved in agriculture. And so that program's just awesome. recently gotten, gotten going in the last two years. And we've got a lot of vets who just, they love being on the farm. And so we're connecting them with land so that they can do that and with expertise to do that as well. So you said you're going into your junior year and, you know, a lot of times the first two years you have to take a lot of prereq courses and get through all that. So I'm, I'm guessing you're excited because you're getting into the meat of what you're, you're wanting to do with international ag economics and everything else. Absolutely. I'm so excited. As you said, the classes are becoming more specialized. So this semester my classes are focused a lot on economic theory and agricultural finance, as well as continuing my Spanish classes. And so I'm so excited to see all of the way that, ways that these classes are culminating to build together my passions for agriculture and for veterans and for the world, for serving the world. And so it's just amazing to see all of it coming together to create a better me and a more clear vision of the future that I aspire to have. Now, it's interesting because with this whole COVID thing that's been going on, a lot of times up leading up to it, people would just kind of take for granted the fact they go to the grocery store, buy some food, and, you know, that was that. But ag economics and what's going on right now with disruptions and different things that have been happening uh, because of COVID, is that something you've been following since this all got started about four months ago? Yes, this is something that I love to do is follow ag news going on. I actually work for the National Agricultural Law Center and stay up to date on ag news so that I can post on social media on three days a week just to inform people who follow the Ag Law Center accounts about what is going on in the ag industry. And so I do think that this season has brought to, more to attention the importance of agriculture and it's shown the ordinary consumer that everyone needs agriculture and everyone needs our American farmers. We need to increase market access on a global level so that we can have um, more places for our exports to go and also um, just have more opportunities for our farmers on a global level while also supporting other economies. So I think that these issues are coming closer, hitting closer to home for everyone, even if people don't think that they relate to agriculture at all because we all need a farmer three times a day. Now let, let's do a final question here and have you jump ahead two years. You've graduated. What's Sarah Gardner going to be doing in two years? I hope to be in law school. I've wanted to be a lawyer ever since about third grade when my mom told me I was good at arguing and I loved to read and ride too. But this is something that has really become not a passion of my parents or the people around me, but it's become really a desire within my heart to be a voice for something bigger than myself, whether that's veterans or agriculture or hopefully a culmination of both. I hope that in two years I will be in law school um, so that I can continue to be a lifelong advocate for this industry and for the hardest working people in agriculture and our veterans who have served our country um, and so that I can just help to make our country better and to help people be aware of how fortunate we are to have the freedoms that we enjoy and to also understand how those freedoms benefit agriculture in our country today. Well, she is Sarah Gardner and Sarah, a junior at the University of Arkansas, and we want to wish you the best from Farm Bureau. We know that um, you're really going to be excited about going back to school, and I guarantee you once people see this, 
you're going to have a lot more fans that are behind you <laughs> and praying for you and, and making sure things go well for you as you go to school. So we wish you the best of luck and the best of health as you head back to the University of Arkansas. Thank you for being our guest on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you. The Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, Steering Committee has proposed $100 million in additional relief funds for the Arkansas Rural Connect Broadband Grant Program, which is administered by the Department of Commerce. Ken Moore spoke to the Secretary of Commerce, Mike Preston, about the need for continued broadband expansion and access to high-speed Internet service in rural Arkansas. This is Ken Moore, and today I'm speaking with uh, Mike Preston, Secretary of the Arkansas Commerce Department. Secretary Preston, uh, welcome to Arkansas AgCast this week. Hey, thank you, Ken. It's good to be with you. You are a member of the Arkansas CARES Act Steering Committee that was created by Governor Hutchinson to recommend how best to allocate one and a quarter billion dollars in the federal pandemic relief funds. And uh, last week, your committee proposed allocating $100 million more for the Rural Connect Broadband Grant Program. Now, expanding broadband access into rural Arkansas has been an effort that's been ongoing for the last several years here in Arkansas, but the COVID-19 pandemic has made the lack of broadband and high-speed Internet access in rural Arkansas a very critical issue, hasn't it? It, it has. You know, we, we've always known that we were you know, behind other states when it came to uh, deployment of broadband, in, in, um, especially in rural parts of our state. Uh, so we've been really ramping up those efforts in the last couple of years, and you know what's uh, been hurting is that we haven't had the you know sufficient funds, not cheap to to get broadband out to uh, rural areas to deploy it that last mile. When COVID-19 hit, and uh, you know everything essentially shut down for uh, schooling, and, and people had to go to to you know distance learning and more telehealth uh, medicine. Uh, it became inevitable that we have to get broadband deployed out to these uh, areas. So uh, using our Arkansas Rural Connect program, we were able to initially put about $25 million of funding into uh, that program, and we've started deploying funds and getting grants out the door, but uh, we saw it was just a drop in the bucket to what Arkansas needs. So uh, thankful to the uh, the CARES uh, Steering Act um, uh, Committee, uh, for approving the additional funds, uh, another $100 million to go with the $25 million, uh, to really help us get that broadband further deployed throughout the state of Arkansas. Now, for those who are not as familiar, uh, I understand the Rural Connect program has already awarded uh, four broadband grants totaling around $6 million to uh, some rural communities across the state. Can you talk about those grants that have already been awarded? Yeah, sure. So we've uh, awarded grants. Um, uh, as you said, we've uh, done uh, four of them already, um, uh, including in uh, Fairfield Bay and um, Nashville and Ozark. Um, we have um, some more that we've actually just uh, signed off and approved on uh, just today. So uh, we're in the process because, like I mentioned before, we had an initial uh, funding of $25 million. So uh, we're getting those funds out as, as quickly as we, we possibly can. The caveat in the uh, the CARES funding right now is that uh, funds have to be uh, spent by the end of the calendar year, so by the end of December uh, of this year. So we're trying to move as quickly as we can. Uh, we'll be going in front of the legislature next week to request the appropriation or the authority to spend that additional $100 million uh, in broadband. And 
Uh, the sooner we can get that uh, authority approved by the legislature, the sooner that we can continue to um, uh, to get those funds doled out across the state. Now, we'll be accepting applications. So we already uh, um, you know, are accepting applications through the current funding that we have. So uh, we'll be looking for hopefully a lot more of those coming in in the next couple of weeks, uh, knowing that we have an additional $100 million potentially on the way. Now, you referenced this just a moment ago because, uh, as we all know, once the pandemic hit back in March, schools just shut down and students all went home to complete their instruction from home uh, through the balance of the spring term. Uh, many students uh, may continue to be educated from home via online instruction if uh, their parents choose to keep them home as the new school year is scheduled to begin in less than two weeks. So uh, this just creates a greater need for those students that do live in rural areas, isn't it? That's right. So we know with school getting ready to start back and, and, and there is a desire to, you know, get back in the classroom as, as best we can, but there's going to be um, scenarios where, you know, it's it's not going to be feasible for, for everyone to, to do so and uh, distance uh, education is going to uh, be an option. In addition to that, like I mentioned, uh, the telemedicine is, is continue, uh, going to be continue to be with us and we've all grown accustomed to, to Zoom meetings and other forms of um, you know, communication that requires, you know, uh, broadband or high-speed Internet access uh, for us to be able to, you know, to do our jobs and to learn and uh, to take care of ourselves and our families in the future. So if you don't have that access, then it's going to be very difficult for um, for those folks. So we want to make sure that the, the option is there, that folks have at least access to uh, broadband. The governor's also put funds aside from uh, some additional funding that uh, he received through the uh, the federal government uh, for access points. About $10 million have been uh, allocated for that. So for those students that, you know, that we can't get broadband out to quick enough, they're going to have the uh, the wireless access points that they can tap into and uh, utilize that for the time being. But this is really going to hopefully help us propel Arkansas to a, a better position, you know, nationally when it comes to our deployment of, of broadband availability across our state. Now, I understand that AT&T and Verizon uh, have partnered with the Department of Education on improving those Wi-Fi hotspots, if you will, that you just mentioned, I believe, in certain school districts. Uh, in fact, some of that was done, I think, some very unique and creative ways of providing Wi-Fi uh, access uh, in certain parts of our state was conducted last spring in the way of uh, utilizing school buses that were parked <laughs> in uh, certain neighborhoods, and they were out outfitted with Wi-Fi, so students in those neighborhoods could receive that. Uh, are you familiar with this partnership between AT&T and Verizon and uh, the Department of Education? Yeah, I, I am, and I know it's something that's been very important, and it's been it's been great to see how, you know, companies who, you know, normally would be competitors with each other have come together to, to partner on this and partner with our state because, you know, for the greater good of Arkansans, uh, we're able to, uh, you know, think outside the box and figure out ways to you know, get access to, to folks, and, and this pandemic has, has continued to see that uh, that evolve in our state, and folks really coming together and working together, and, and, and doing it in a way, you know, unfortunately, you know, you're still in a time when we have to wear masks and socially distance, so, you know, it doesn't, you know, not everyone can go into the library and sit down and, and do their homework, but if there's at least an access point where they can pull up to in their, their car or in their vehicle and they can stay in and have that access, 
uh, it certainly helps. So uh, we continue to look for ways to, to be innovative with, you know, our, our Department of Education as well as our uh, industry uh, partners throughout the state who are working with us to, to make this happen. And you referenced telehealth just a moment ago. Uh, beyond education, uh, what are other ways that the Rural Connect program is being utilized to help uh, provide access for health care across rural Arkansas? Well, sir, and I give you know a lot of credit to uh, to UAMS, and uh, they were the the really the pioneer in uh, telehealth medicine across the state, and it really uh, built out a network that supports telemedicine. But what we're seeing now is is everyone is aware that you know with um, you know the in person doctor visits um, dwindling uh, because of the the COVID nineteen and the uh, you know the, the need to uh, keep some of that space available. Uh, telemedicine is is now you know more and more uh, becoming the norm for for people. So uh, because of the network UAMS has built out, there's already an infrastructure, but. Uh, as we find with, you know, uh, broadband in rural parts of the state, it doesn't hit everywhere. So uh, the Arkansas Rural Connect will, will certainly hopefully help those homes that don't have the, the access that they need to uh, be able to participate in, in telemedicine. And, and it's going to be so so vital for, for people going forward as this will be certainly the, you know, really the new normal for um, health visits for at least the foreseeable future. So as this grant program uh, is authorized and this money is made available for the benefit of those listening to our conversation, how can they get more information about uh, this program in their communities and receiving access to this uh, uh, Internet? Sure. So what they need to do is, is coordinate with their um, uh, their county judge or their, uh, their local mayor, um, and they will need to partner with an Internet service provider. Uh, to submit an application to uh, the Department of Commerce uh, broadband office. Uh, so I would encourage them to reach out to their, you know, their, their county official, their county judge, or, or the mayor, depending if they're living in an incorporated um, uh, town or municipality or if they're an unincorporated part of the county, to reach out to the county judge, make sure that they're aware of it uh, and that they are, you know, working with some type of um, Internet service provider to uh, get the access that uh, that they need, and then uh, that mayor, judge, and internet service provider will reach out to to our office to, to begin discussions about filing that application. Very good. Well, Secretary Preston, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to update our listeners on this important issue. Because as this pandemic continues, uh, and regrettably it looks like it will for a while yet to come, uh, we appreciate your efforts on behalf of all our Kansans and those. Uh, other members of the steering committee to help make this uh, broadband access more available. We appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with everyone today. I've been talking with uh, Mike Preston, Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Commerce, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, we have a segment from our recent conversations with Jamie and Elizabeth Anderson of IF Anderson Farms and Jamie's dad, James, about their operation, which is the nation's largest bait fish hatchery. The Andersons were the 2019 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year, and these clips are from our special video feature on the family and their fourth generation fish farming business. There's a lot of pride in, in what what I do um, back on the farm. You know, I certainly didn't, wouldn't have wanted to do anything else because of the pride that I had in the family business. Um, I feel like my sons, at least one, if not both, will kind of be that way. It's just hard to say. They're nine and 11, so you never know. 
there's just so much energy and excitement here and it's just it's just, it's just an incredible experience of course i hope that uh, uh, it's this business is sustainable i hope that my, if my uh, grandsons want to come back let them come home hopefully i'll be here to do it with them to learn more about the Andersons and see the full feature video, visit our website, arfb.com. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.